All right, good morning. I, I don't know what your process is uh, for picking out what you ultimately decided to wear uh, today, but at least for some of you, I'm willing to bet it's, it's a process a lot like mine. Uh, for others of you, I'm betting uh, you planned it out the day before. I don't know how many day before uh, planners that we have here. Uh, I, I don't plan a day in advance what I'm gonna wear. I generally speaking like to plan in advance. Uh, though not to the extent that, for instance, my wife, my wife is a planner. She loves to plan everything. We're, we're going to leave town uh, next week and she's already lining things up. She's, she's got spreadsheets all, all set for exactly what the weather is each day when we're out of town. She, she loves to plan. And let me tell you, I love the fact that she loves to plan. Me, yes, I'm a planner too, but for certain things, I like to live on the wild side, okay? And, and what, I, what I end up wearing any given day is as a result of zero planning. I did not plan for this, okay? This just happened this morning. Just think about that, okay? So how do I pick what I'm going to wear? I'm sure many of you are interested in this, so that's why I'm going to share it. Uh, I'm not a planner in this regard, there, but there still is structure. There is structure to what I do here. Uh, there is a formula. What I mean by that is I don't just grab any pair of socks, any pair of shoes, any pants, any shirt, and just hope that it all works together. There is a process, okay? The first thing to think about are the shoes and the socks. You got to think about the shoes and the socks. And with the shoes, there are basically two choices. Uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be something that works in the brown family or something that works in the black family, okay? So for example, if I pick black shoes, I won't wear socks with brown undertones. I won't do it, won't do it. Uh, I'm gonna pick a, a black or gray based sock, okay? Same thing with the belt, okay? If I'm gonna choose black shoes, that means the belt is gonna be black. See how that works? Each decision, is there's a ripple effect to it, okay? Isn't this so interesting, really? <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> So, so the shoes, in a manner of speaking, the shoes guides the sock decision, which, which dictates my belt decision. Now, here's the tricky part. What if I pick black shoes, but then have no clean socks that are black or of a gray tint? Do you see how difficult life can be sometimes? What happens then? Well, I'll switch to a brown shoe, which I'm wearing today. Uh, and that means the sock that I'm going to wear is uh, brown based or uh, has a brown undertone to it. See that? Uh, and, uh, and a brown belt. I have a brown belt on. Okay, now for the pants. Pants. I feel like I have a lot of flexibility with pants, especially if you're going to wear jeans. You know, if I'm going to wear jeans, well, everything goes with jeans. Uh, however, if they're black jeans, game changer. Okay, I won't mix those black jeans with brown shoes. Okay, I know you're allowed to mix browns and blacks. I know you're allowed to do that. It's just a personal conviction of mine. I won't do it. Okay, so if I'm going to go brown shoes, we can eliminate all the black and gray pants right from the get-go. But for brown shoes, a blue pant or a khaki pant is probably the safest choice. Right? You with me so far? Good? Okay, now let's get on to the shirt. Isn't this great? This is great. It's like calculus. Uh, the shirt, I can, I, I, can I choose any shirt? No, don't be ridiculous. Okay? I like solids or something with a pattern, right? But I'm not gonna wear a shirt with a pattern if my pants have a pattern. You can just forget about that right now, but truthfully, I don't think I even own any pants with a pattern on them to tell you the truth. Uh, that gives me a lot of choices in the shirt department. But if I'm gonna go with brown shoes, brown belt, same rules as the pants, I'm not gonna go with a shirt that has a predominantly black or gray coloring to it. You know, a red is good, blue is fine. Uh, but not a solid brown. I'm not, not going to wear a solid brown shirt with khaki pants. People will think I'm going to go on a safari or, uh, or lead a tour at the zoo, okay? Okay, but what if, I don't have a what if I don't have a clean shirt that goes with khaki pants? 
Well, now you got to rethink the pants, okay? Do you see how one decision affects another? You make a decision on something, and, and, uh, and I know my wife does this too, I know, but she just does it the day before. That's, that's the only difference, okay? One decision affects another. And let me tell you, I've, I've, I've never written any of this down either. I, to, to be impressed, I know you're impressed. Uh, I, I just know how to do this, okay? It's amazing. And uh, I, I've never got, I haven't gotten even to jackets yet. We haven't even talked about jackets or vests or sweaters, uh, but I have policies where, where those things are concerned too, all right? Now, as you try and wrap your head around all that, let me tell you what I want to talk about today. Uh, we're in a series entitled One Thing. And in this series, uh, I'm, I'm trying to give you one answer to one question with ideally one simple answer, one clean, concise, simple answer, or at least as simple as possible, right? Fortunately, the question today isn't, Lyric, how do you decide what to wear each day? That's not the question for today. The one thing that we're going to talk about today is what Christians call the trinity the trinity all right let's try and answer this one question today with a straightforward response and that question is what is whoa easy what is the trinity here we go what is the trinity let me put this question for let me pose that question to you what is the trinity i admit it's a bit difficult of a question because last week the question was what is god we didn't talk about who is God, we talked about what is God, and we said God is spirit, right? Infinite, eternal. Now we're saying, what is the Trinity? And, part, and baked into this question is also, how, how does the Trinity work? You know, what is the Trinity? How does the Trinity work? You got chairs out there, chairs over here too, if you need them. Uh, so what is the Trinity? So let me put the question before you. What is the Trinity? Who wants to take a stab at it? Speak up, please, and you can either send it through chat or you can... Uh, answer right here in person, whatever you'd like. What's the Trinity? Huh? Three. We have an answer. Three. Yes. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay. Anyone else? God in three dimensions. Okay. Interesting. God in three dimensions. Someone else? Does that basically covers that? Is that what we want to go with? Yeah. God in three persons. Starting to get into tricky language here, like the old hymn, God in three persons. Ah, oh, one of my favorites. Love it. Now I'm on recording singing. Great. I'm a recording artist. That's good. That's just that easy in Nashville, I'm telling you. Anyone else? All right. It's, it's a bit of a tricky question, I admit. All right. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough question to answer because we have no reference point for it. There, there's nothing on earth that we can point to and say with a tremendous amount of accuracy, it's just like that. Okay. And, and I know that there are all kinds of comparisons. And I know we can make a metaphor. Well, it's kind of like, I even heard someone last week, it's kind of like an egg, right? Shell, egg yolk, white, but every metaphor breaks down to, to a certain point. And that's the difficult thing about it. Okay. We can't point to anything on earth and say, it's just like that. It's just like that. Okay, because there isn't anything like it. And that's what I first want you to understand about the Trinity. We define the Trinity and we have a doctrine for the Trinity, not because of something, not because it's something reasonable. All right? We don't have a definition and a doctrine for the Trinity because it's easy to understand. Our basis for the, the definition and the doctrine of the Trinity is that Scripture allows no other view. Scripture allows no other view. This is, why, this is why I was telling you about how I picked my clothes, believe it or not. There was a point to it, 
all right? Because if I make one decision, it, it tends to force my hand in another direction. Similarly with the Trinity, what is a Trinity? How do we answer that? We, we start, as we start to answer that question, we answer it and we say, oh, okay, so that's what the Trinity is until we hit a, a scriptural guardrail of sorts, right? That doesn't allow us to take that decision or that definition uh, uh, too, too far. It forces us into another direction. Let me show you what I, what, what, uh, what I mean. We have, we have three entities, okay? And if I can use that term just for the moment, three entities that we read about in scripture. And you all have already pointed this out this morning. Uh, we have uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, got it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, so we have three gods. No, scriptural guardrail, okay? The Bible tells us we have one God. Okay, got it. So we have one God, and I guess he, he shapeshifts into different, three different modes, right? No. The scriptures tell us that, that, that God is three persons. Wait, I thought you said, he, thought you said he's one. Yes, I did say that. But you also said he's three persons. Correct, I said that too. All right, see what I mean? That's not reasonable. <laughs> That's not reasonable. It, it even seems somewhat contradictory. Maybe so, but we base our belief in theology off of the guardrails that scripture gives to us. When we define what the Trinity is, we have to go with what the Bible gives us. We are, in a sense, prevented from going too far with our descriptions of the Trinity. And the end result is a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of tension here. Okay, a little bit of mystery because once again, we're trying to describe the indescribable. We're trying to describe the indescribable. We have no reference for this. Now, for our answer to our one thing question, what is the Trinity? All right, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the answer first. I'm gonna give you the simple answer first, all right? And I'm gonna break it down to the most simple answer possible. And then we're gonna go back and see how the guardrails of scripture sort of, sort of put us there, okay? Here's your simple answer to the question. What is the Trinity? The Trinity can be expressed in three simple statements. Three simple statements. The Trinity can be expressed in three simple statements. Here's the first one, as soon as I can find it. There it is. First one, there is one God. That's the first statement, there is one God. There is one God. Second one. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. All right? Simple statement number three. Just realized I can see it in here too. Oh, someone wants to be admitted. Hold on. And number three. Each of these three persons is distinct from the other. Each of these three persons is distinct from the other. Okay, now in these three statements, there are two truths that we can extract from these three statements. Two truths that we can extract from these three statements. Those two truths are the unity of God, the, you know, the oneness of God, and the plurality of God. Okay, the oneness of God and the plurality of God. You see the tension there? It sounds like we're speaking you know, in contradictory terms here. We have a, uh, a little dog, and I've told you about this little dog before. His name is, is Jasper. He's about this big, a little dog about that big, all right? And uh, we have a bigger one and a smaller one. And the smaller one's name is Jasper, I said. Uh, and my kids affectionately call him a little devil. The, the dog is really very friendly and lovable. He is, okay? He's such a lovable dog, but my son has a way, uh, my older son has a way of... of, of of poking the bear, if you will, right? And if you poke the bear enough times, the bear will wake up and 
eat you. Okay, that's, that's sort of the, the metaphor here. My son doesn't hurt him, okay, but he does pester him a little bit because he likes to see how close to the edge he can get to him, right? He can, he can take him. For instance, and he only does this with the kids. He doesn't do this uh, to, to Trace or me, but, but my son will, will put his finger right at the corner of his mouth, just like this, you know, and, and just, and, and, and the dog will, will, will stare at him through his periphery. Like he sees it's coming and he knows it's there and he's really still because he can tell something is, is invading his space. And Jack will get, will get closer and closer and closer, and it's and, and and you know, all of a sudden you hear this low gray growl as he gets closer and closer and closer. And then it, when he gets close enough, all of a sudden you see this this corner of his cheek start to start to twitch, and he's getting closer and closer and closer. As it twitches a little bit more, growls a little bit more, inching ever closer to his mouth. Now, the next thing, that's, that's the next warning that he gets, that he sees just a little bit of teeth <laughs> right there. He shows a little bit of, of, his, of his mouth, uh, in the inside of his mouth, and, and, it's, and it's as if he's saying, if you get any closer to me, if you get any closer, I'm going to snap at you. I'm going to do it, okay? And so he inches closer, 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 and guess what happens? <laughs> he tries, to, he tries to, to nip at him, right? Growl, he snaps at him. And Jack whips his hand back unscathed and just laughs at the exhilarating feeling of getting to keep his, all of his fingers a little bit longer, okay? And, but that's what he does. And he takes it right up to the edge until the dog scares him away. Now, so, so this is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing here. We're gonna look at these statements in such a way and we're going to take these statements right up to the edge. We're going to go right up to the edge with them. We won't, we won't necessarily look at these statements. one. Well, we will look at them one by one. And we'll, and we'll try and make some, some conclusions here. And maybe even take these conclusions a little bit too far. Okay, we'll take them a little bit too far. And watch scripture make us snatch our hand back before we get nipped by the jaws of heresy. Okay? <laughs> it's going to be like choosing socks and seeing what happens when we pair of brown socks with black shoes. You're going to see, oh, can't work, right? So here we go. Our first statement says there is one God. There's one God. Okay, great. That's a comforting thought. There's one God. And really by definition, by definition, there can only be one God. By definition, God is the supreme being. Okay, then supreme, that's a superlative. Okay, if, if you have the supreme being of something, you have the very best. There is nothing better. This is why I laugh when I see the word supreme associated with things like a taco. Would you like the regular taco or the supreme taco? Of course, I want the supreme. I want the very best of what you got. Give that one to me, okay? Uh, I want the supreme taco. If God is the supreme being, that means he is the singular best and greatest thing, okay? There, there can't be two supreme beings, there's only one best. It's a superlative. So that, that's why this is comforting to know that there is one God. There's one God. And, and here's where scripture affirms this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Also, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I'm the first... I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. I'm the one and only. Okay? So here in these verses, we get the sense that God is one. There are no other gods but Yahweh. And an interesting side note here, the, the holy name of God, Yahweh, 
That was first revealed to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is talking to God in the burning bush. I don't know if you remember this account. And, 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 and uh, God is telling Moses the plan of the Exodus. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go into Pharaoh's court and you're going to tell him, I said, you're going to tell him, I said, let my people go that they may serve me. We always say, let, let my people go, right? But there's two parts to this. Let my people go that they may serve me is what God says. Okay, and Moses said, that's great, Lord. <laughs> I love this plan. But when I get back to the people of Israel and, and tell them all of this, who, who am I supposed to, to say sent me? I guess what I'm trying to ask you, Lord, is what is your name? Tell me your name. And he answered what? Do you remember what he answered? I am who I am. That's what his name was. He, this, this is not just a statement here. This is not just God saying, I am who I am. Leave me alone. He's saying, he, this is my name. This is my name. This is my holy name. I am who I am. And this is where we derive the word, the Hebrew word Yahweh. I am who I am. Okay? So we can rest in this. We can take comfort in the fact that we serve one singular God, and his name is Yahweh. I am who I am. So, so that means if there's only one God, we can confidently say that that Jesus then is just a prophet or something, right? A good teacher, right? No. Thank you for saying that quickly. <laughs> we bump into the guardrails of scripture here. Too far. Jesus is not God, right? He's just a prophet. No, boom. We just hit the, a guardrail of scripture. We look at our definition. Uh, we took our definition a little too far. You know, I just told you about the holy name of God. I am who I am. I know I've probably shared this with you a number of times, but real quick, as you may or may not be aware, there are a number of passages in the gospel accounts where Jesus identifies himself by saying things like, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, right? There, were, there was one instance in the gospel of John, John chapter eight, where Jesus is talking with a group of Jews and he tells them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And they scoff back and what are you talking about? You're, you're not even 50 years old and, and you're saying you've seen Abraham? And Jesus' response, do you remember what he said? He said, before Abraham was, I am, he said. Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I am. And the construction of the words that he used in, in saying I am was the construction that refers to the holy name of God. I am who I am. So you see what Jesus is saying in this moment? He's effectively saying that he is God. And every time, every time he made one of those I am statements like I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, he was using this I am construction. Ego imi. Okay? This was considered to be blasphemous to the Jews like outrageously blasphemous, that every time he made one of these statements and it was around him, they picked up stones to kill him because he was committing, they assumed that he was committing blasphemy because he was, he was declaring the fact, I am God. Jesus is right there in the flesh saying, I am God. Now, but listen to this idea of Jesus. This wasn't a new idea either, okay? At the arrival of Jesus, Isaiah spoke about this. Remember this? For those of you who, uh, who have uh, sung the Messiah, and just have read this passage in the Bible. Uh, for to us, oopsie. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The verses only stack up from here. 
All right, the opening verses in the Gospel of John, and listen to this, this is where it starts to get dicey. There's one God, one God, we said. We've established that, but now we have verses like this, John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was uh, in the beginning with God. See what he's saying there? These verses affirm what? Both the singularity of God and the plurality of God. One more verse I'm going to show you. This was, I love this account too. This was after Jesus' resurrection. Do you remember what, what uh, uh, the disciple Thomas's reaction was uh, to the resurrected Jesus? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. So he was, as the name goes, doubting Thomas. He was doubting Thomas. Remember what he said? He said, unless I see Jesus' hands, unless I see the mark on his hands and I can put my, my fingers into the mark on his hands and place my, place my hand on, on his side where his, his wounds are, I, I won't believe it. I won't believe about all this talk about a resurrected Jesus. Eight days later, he got the opportunity. Eight days later, he's face to face with a resurrected Savior. Jesus stood in front of Thomas and told him, go ahead, go ahead, touch my wounds, touch them. Put your hand right here, Peter. I mean, excuse me, Thomas. Put your, put your hand here. Now go ahead. Do you remember what Thomas said after that? He said, my Lord and my prophet? My Lord and my good teacher? My Lord and my best friend? Know what he say? My Lord and my God. I think I even have a slide for that. My Lord and my God. In no uncertain terms, Thomas calls Jesus God and worships him as God. See, based on Jesus' own testimony, based on the reaction of the disciples, based on the, the work that he did, the miracles that he performed, how can we conclude anything other than Jesus is God? And we could go through the same exercise with the Holy Spirit too. I won't take you all the way through it, but I'll give you one verse that's uh, frequently cited when we point to the Holy Spirit and say the Holy Spirit is God. And that's in uh, Acts chapter 5, really quickly. This is the account of Ananias and Sapphira. I had my friend here asking me about Ananias and Sapphira this week. This was a married couple who, who sold, in, in the book of Acts chapter 5, who sold a piece of property. Okay, they gave the proceeds to the apostles, but when they were, but the implication they were making was, this is everything that we made from our property. Here's all of it. But in reality, they were holding a little bit back for themselves. Okay, so they lied about how much they were giving to God. This is terrifying to me. The, the apostle Peter knew they were lying, and he said to them in Acts 5, 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So Peter's saying, you're lying to the Holy Spirit and keeping, uh, to, to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land. So, so again, Peter is establishing the fact here that Ananias and Sapphira are lying to the Holy Spirit. Now look what Peter says in the next verse, verse four. While it remained unsold, did, not, uh, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Did you see what Peter just did? He just equated the Holy Spirit to God. So, so we have the guardrails. Where have the guardrails of Scripture taken us? God is one, but also the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Oneness, plurality. Now, let's take these ideas at the very edge again. 
let's take them to the very edge and see what happens when we take it too far. Let's take, let's say we've taken our argument uh, this far. God is one and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. So, so what if we were to make this conclusion? It seems as though, yes, God is one, but God has the ability to, to take on different forms. Sometimes he plays the role of the Father, sometimes he plays the role of the Son, and sometimes he plays the roles of the Holy Spirit. Are we good with that? No. Say no quickly. <laughs> no. Okay? That bumps us again into another guardrail of heresy. That idea runs contrary to Scripture. We, we've just been nipped by the jaws of heresy again. Okay? Do you know what used to bother me as a kid? Sometimes it was difficult for me to suspend my belief when I would watch shows like Superman. Okay, why? Because let's be honest, Clark Kent with glasses does not look that much different than Clark Kent without glasses in a cape. Okay, for example, Lee Eric's teaching class. Hey, who's teaching our class? Who is that up there? Oh, it's Lee Eric. <laughs> You know, uh, it, that would drive me crazy. And Lois Lane, really? Come on, Lois. You work with him every single day. You got a good sense for what his face looks like. All of a sudden, Superman shows up. Who are you? I've never seen you before. You're my hero, right? And I would, I would yell at my TV set, it's Clark. It's Clark Kent. And the same thing would be true about Batman and Bruce Wayne. Same thing. Seemed pretty important figures in the city of Gotham. And they were both celebrities, if you will. Uh, they both knew the commissioner, and, and admittedly, I didn't see every single episode of Batman, so perhaps at some point they did try and get Batman and Bruce Wayne in the same room at the same time. But if that attempt ever took place, I'm sure it happened way far down the line. I'm sure it never happened early on. Someone thinks, you know what's odd? I've never seen those two in a room together. Do you suppose that's suspicious? Nah, totally normal. Totally normal. Someone please try and put these people in the same room at the same time, and you'll see it's the same person. Do it, Right? So let me read this passage for you, the account of Jesus' baptism. This is Matthew 3, uh, 16, 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming down to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, 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 what have we here? all three of them at the same place at the same time. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three separate persons. And listen, this isn't the first time. This isn't the first time, right from the very beginning. Let us make man in our image. And notice that he says, let us make man in our image, not in our images, singular, okay? So this is why we, we, we can't affirm the idea of what we call modalism. Okay, that God, God doesn't, doesn't take on three different, he doesn't, he doesn't stop being the Father in order to become the Son. He doesn't stop being the Son so he can be the, the Holy Spirit. What the guardrails of Scripture teaches is that God is one, but exists as three persons. All right? And so we're left with this definition again. Not, not because it's the most convenient. This is not the most convenient. Not because it makes the most sense, but because this is what the Scriptures have defined for us. One God, three persons. And listen, one last thought here, and I'll wrap this up. If you're trying to talk to an atheist, if you're trying to talk to an atheist uh, about the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that's not a great place to start, okay? For instance, if someone comes to you and says, I can't believe Christianity because of the idea of the Trinity makes no sense, you're going to have a hard time convincing them of the logical nature of the Trinity, 
because it stands on the basis of scripture. That's where we derive our doctrine from scripture. Okay. If you believe there is a God and you believe that, that the Bible is God's word and hear me, those ideas in and of themselves will give you plenty to talk about, you know, with an atheist for, for uh, a long time or an unbeliever. But if you believe those things, there is a God and the Bible is his word, then the definition of the Trinity is an easy one. It's easy because again, we're trying to define something of which we have no reference for. There is no exact comparison. You know, so there is a bit of mystery here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Now here's the miracle of all this. Here's the miracle of all this. God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, but, but he is in the scripture. He, he is the supreme being, right? And that means as the supreme being, he is under no obligation to explain any of it to us. He's under no obligation to explain any of it to us. However, he has, by his own good pleasure, decided to reveal himself to us nonetheless. He, you know, he hasn't told us everything but he has told us something. He's told us something of himself and revealed something of himself. And he's revealed enough to us and gives us the power to know him and call him savior with what he's revealed to us. He hasn't told us everything, but what he has told us is nothing short of miraculous. And I didn't get a chance to put this in here this morning, but this is actually from my reading today. Uh, and it just so I said, that fits perfectly. Deuteronomy uh, 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What a great way to finish. And I'll leave it there. I'll, I'll, I'll put a period there and see if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions uh, that we can talk about either online here or in person. Any questions, thoughts, comments? Anyone have anything? Everyone understand the Trinity now? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, we, yes, you can. You absolutely can. It's God. You know, Jesus is God. And my kids will often, uh, especially when they're younger, I remember they would start their prayers with dear Jesus. And that's, he's God, you know, and same thing. Not only that, but <laughs> Jesus is the one interceding on your behalf right now. And so is the Holy Spirit. He's, he's within you and he's the one sort of interpreting, you know, giving those words that are uh, groans and, and too deep for words, right? And so, yes, that's, that's certainly fine. And the reason that we say in Jesus' name, uh, uh, typically because that, that, I believe that's in the Lord's Prayer, right? That they can, no, I don't know that it is at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. I'm thinking of something else. But it's still fine. It's in the name of Jesus. And, and that's how he taught us to pray. So, uh, but again, it's perfectly fine to interchange, you know, the, the Holy Spirit or, or pray to the Holy Spirit and know that you're still praying to the one singular God. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Spence. Her. Good call on the brown sweater. Thanks. He said good call on the brown sweater. It was a process for it. I don't know if I've explained that to you. <laughs> is, uh, is it fair to say that they're all equal? Mm -hmm. And then is it also fair to say that 
Excellent question. So his question was, is it fair to say that they're all equal? Are the Father, I'm going to ask you this first, are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all equal? Yes or no? What do you think? Yes, they are. But then he also asked, but is it fair to say that the Son submitted himself to the Father? Yes, he absolutely did. Not because he is less than the Father, but because he willingly set aside his, remember the, uh, my, my favorite verse in Philippians, uh, for he did not count e equality with God as, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but instead he what? He set, he set, he set, he set that aside. He set that aside and became a servant. So he willingly set himself, placed his, 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 uh, his equality with God aside so that he could do what? So that he could redeem you, so that he could be a servant for, for your sake. Same thing with what? They all, they're all equal, but they all have different roles that they've willingly taken upon themselves. You know, it's the Father's plan to, to have salvation. This, this executes that salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that then occupies your heart and, and seals it, okay? So they all have their part. Uh, and they're all equal. Great question. So, Ron is asking, but doesn't the Father have information that the others don't? Because when Jesus was here, he said, uh, only the Father in heaven knows the day of my return. Great question. The answer to that is now Jesus knows, okay? Why didn't he know when he was, when we, when we see in scripture, why didn't Jesus know? Uh, and he said, only the, only the Father in heaven knows, not even the Son knows. Why did he say that? You know? Fully God, fully man. And like, I think we talked about this last week. When he was here in the flesh, he was veiled in flesh. And so just like we just said in this passage, he willingly set aside, he willingly uh, uh, added humanity, if I could say that, and, and willingly um, sort of veiled himself in flesh. And with that veiling of flesh, he wasn't privy to everything uh, omnipotent, you know, he wasn't omnipotent in every moment. He would rely upon uh, the father to give him information. For instance, when he was talking to the uh, a Samaritan woman at the well, all of a sudden he was saying things that, that, uh, that no one else could have revealed to him, you know, because at that point, where was he getting that information from? From the omnipotent one, excuse me, from the omniscient one, the one who knows everything. So when Jesus was on earth, yes, he was, he had deliberately limited himself, if, you, if I could say that. Uh, but on occasion, the Almighty would communicate information to him and, uh, and make him know things that no other person could know. But now, glorified Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, that's uh, <laughs> fair to say he knows when, when, the, when the second coming is now. So. Someone else? Anyone over here? Great questions. And uh, if I've made any mistakes in my answers, I'll be sure to clear it up next week, okay? Uh, next week is what? The uh, 14th. So yes, we'll be here back in person uh, next week. I think it's the week after. No, we should. Daylight Savings is next week. Okay, that's an important thing to note. There's, a, there's another week coming up where, I, where I'm going to be preaching at another campus, and I'll let you know which one. But next week, we're, we're still in person. So uh, we will see you all here next week. Oh, hold on. There's one more question in the chat here. I'm going to make sure we get this one. Uh, John 16, 26 is from Aaron. Aaron, Jesus tells us to pray in his name. Thank you. I knew it. I knew I wasn't crazy there. I just was forgetting the reference. Uh, why does he also say... 
unless I go, the comforter will not come. And that is better for you to leave, uh, for me to leave. Okay, this is where Aaron is asking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because, and he's saying, why, is, why did Jesus say it's better that I go so that the comforter may be here? Because again, we're talking about the limits that Jesus put him on himself in the flesh. And what Jesus is saying here in this moment in John 16 is that it's better for me to go because instead of you clutching on to me, you know, fully man Jesus, you have the ability to have the Holy Spirit with you every day, every night, every minute of every hour, all the time. And so that's why he says, it's better that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit, the comforter comes and, and he's with you all the time. So that's why Jesus is saying in there, it's better that I go. So great question. All right. Let me, uh, would someone like to be brave enough to close us in prayer this morning and then we'll, we'll be dismissed?